0: Welcome to the Frog Logic Podcast. I'm your host David Rutt Rutherford, and this week's show is going to be absolutely hilarious for you. At least, uh, at, and at the most, it'll be insight onto what comedy is from the perspective of the the great and all powerful Jack Mandeville. Now, Jack is a former Marine, but more importantly, man, he is really a powerful writer, actor, uh, comedian. Um, uh, just uh, his ability to uh, look at life and see things that are all funny is absolutely incredible. Now, Jack has been a professional writer, actor, social media poster, influencer, man for for many years now. He has uh, written uh, for the likes of The Duffel Blog, Task and Purpose, Coffee or Die magazine, uh, you've also seen him incredibly hilarious videos for Strike Force, uh, Black Ops grooming, and of course for Black o- Rifle Coffee with him, JT and him and Evan and Matt and all the boys over there. Man, just producing h- hilarious, hilarious videos. He's also has a ton of incredible content over at Ranger Up. Him and Nick producing some just hilarious things for years and years on end, man. Uh, and now you can find him uh, all over. Uh, not only uh, with uh, Black Rifle, but also on his own page, his own incredible content that you can find at uh, uh, Jack Mandeville, right? G- j a c k m a n d a v i l l e on his Instagram page where he just puts out a slew of things. I mean, Jack is really just one of the funniest uh, veteran comics and and all-around comics that I've seen in a long time, and that's why I'm so excited to bring him on. I've been following him for years now. He's, I believe, one of the funniest guys out there. Uh, He's just eccentric. He's avant-garde. He is just absolutely funny, so uh, you're going to enjoy this. Before we jump into it, though, I want to just thank uh, Onnit uh for just being an incredible sponsor for so many uh so many of my shows man uh without you guys uh, a lot of this just wouldn't have been possible i'm so appreciative uh, if you want some of the world's greatest supplements, then head over to onnit.com. That's o-n-n-i-t.com, and check out all the incredible things I use. Their their uh, Cornerstone Project Alpha Brain, I use their gut health, I use all their protein powders and and, and their fat butters. Man, this this is just uh, if you want the best quality part product on the market, then head on over to onnit. Man, just uh, thank you so much for the incredible part partnership you've been with me for for uh, the past year, and I just can't thank you guys enough. God bless you, and I hope you get through all this safely. Uh, also, I want you to go check out ReadyWise. If, if you're not prepared uh, for, if you weren't prepared for the pandemic, you're certainly not prepared for the future then, man, you need to go over to ReadyWise.com, man. This is the number one freeze-dried food company out there. These guys have the mo- the greatest tasting, longest lasting, 25-year shelf life, easiest storing in their bucket matrixes, uh, man. And you can just have some peace of mind. And if you go and you get the, I highly recommend getting a three to six month uh, uh, amount of food rations for you and every member in your f- family. And that goes on a an equation of about 2,000 calories a day. Um, and ReadyWise has the greatest product out there for you, man. I've been with these guys for over a year now. They're an incredible sponsor to the Frog Logic podcast, incredible working relationship, and they're an incredible company. Head over there, uh, type in promo code FrogLogic in the promo code, and you'll get 25% off everything they have uh, on the site. You can't beat this deal for you. Uh, get in there, order your You and your family, uh, some food for what's coming in the future. We have no idea, but I'm sure if it uh, continues along the lines of uh, 2020, we got murder hornets, uh, social unrest, political insanity. Uh, We've got the pandemic. We've got uh, a Godzilla coming in in August. I think that's my over-under for the next one. We've got aliens. Uh, We've got all kinds of things going on, so don't leave chance to fate. Uh, And I need you to get out there and head over to readywise.com. Promo code FROGLOGIC, 25% all off, and you'll love it. Now, also, uh, if you feel like helping us out a little bit, go head on over to TeamFROGLOGIC.com. That's the website. Uh, check out some of uh, my books. I've got a great adult book, Forging Self-Confidence, two great kids' books, uh, uh, Doc Frog's PT, which is a physical training book for kids, uh, middle age, school, and under, a little bit, uh, and then an anti-bully book, Doc Frog's Anti-Bully Brigade, man. And this uh, will teach your kids how to stay away from bullying or how to uh, make sure they they help a bully in in ending this bullying. Uh, Hopefully, all of your kids are are prepared and uh, ready for the upcoming world that we're going to face. No, mine are, and we're working through this. uh, uh, So uh, check out uh, all the other T-shirts, hats, uh, stickers, all this. And uh, we're getting ready here to unleash uh, something exciting in the not too distant future that is going to bring Frog Logic concepts to everybody out there around the country and around the world. So head on over to TeamFrogLogic.com or check me out on my social media platforms at TeamFrogLogic for your support, uh, or to just check out my daily dose of motivation. A uh, little motivational post I do almost daily that'll help lift your spirits and get you back uh, uh, dialed in in the right mindset with all this craziness going on. Now, in order to also help you do that, man, uh, I got this incredible show today you're going to love with uh, one of my favorite people, one of the funniest human beings I know, uh, Mr. Jack Mandeville. So, all right, let's get this started. hoo ya! My brother, how are you?
1: I'm rolling. I'm doing well, man.
0: Are, do you have pants on? Yes,
1: I am wearing pants today. Uh I'm just wearing gym shorts so I'm going super casual.
0: Well, oh, I I was I, I'm just glad you're you're not naked on me, although it would have been a funny bit for the for the show for sure, but man, Jack, I, I just I can't thank you enough for coming on with me. I just love seeing your face uh, as you know and I've told you a million times I am a massive fan of yours. Uh I think you have a real gift that uh Uh, just is waiting to explode in the mainstream and I just uh, it's such an honor to have you on thank you brother.
1: Thank you man I really appreciate it I don't know if it's ever going to be on the mainstream but I'll definitely take your respect any day.
0: (laughs) Well at least then we can all be on the fringe together because I I always like to think that's what we are right essentially is yeah as people that you know have a, a different approach to um, not only their perspective on life but really a different approach to to what makes them laugh or what's funny or or even even the things that interest them and I think there's a, a collective of us that are coming not only out of the veteran community but also out of out of you know the last 20 years of entertainment the last 20 years of motivational speaking that are trying to do it but really kind of out here where it's not as as uh um refined it's not as 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 um what's the word man i can't think anymore the um um promote you know mainstream not
1: yeah it's certainly not uh, run, run by the studios anymore there's a lot more freedom these days
0: and, and so do you get that sense, is that where you like to be, or, or would you consider yourself to be uh, uh, on the fringe of not only both the regular entertainment world, but also in our veteran space? Because you, unlike a lot of people, have no qualms about hammering the snot out of veterans, too, which I love.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I take personal pleasure in it. Uh, hopefully <laughs> I get a laugh out of it, but it's, yeah, I, I, I have a good time doing that. Um, I, yeah, I do like being in those areas, particularly because I just get to be who I am and do what I want. Uh, and I've rarely encountered any resistance or interruption with that. And we're lucky that we live in a time frame that we do where, um, you know, creators in all walks of life can, can you know, they have a lot more freedom to do what they want. They're not beholden to studios or the big businesses running things anymore i would have to sit in a one-bedroom place in la you know struggling to get by like I, I probably would have 30 years ago 20 years ago
0: well it's interesting you know my brother went out to la in pursuit of a of an acting career modeling career yeah back. he's a handsome
1: dude i've seen the pictures
0: <laughs> he, he took it all man he took it all yeah. um uh you know and he, that was 85 and you know got a little close on a couple things and then you know became in the service industry built a big business in terms of events and event planning worked with some of the biggest people out there and then just through a kind of a unique experience uh, uh, association when he was working for the Hollywood reporter got you know said why don't you why don't you model and has since gone on to become one of one of the more recognizable Silver Fox models out there. And yeah, so, isn't it, that his Instagram handle? Yeah, no, that's yeah. what everybody calls him. Silver Fox. Yeah, no, it's Mister Rutherford. Is what he does. Oh, on. that's right. Yeah. And and the point I'm making is is it is it took an incredibly long period of time for him to kind of fight, work through his path back to it. Do you feel like the the amount of time that you've been putting into developing your comedic style, developing your writing style, developing your acting style is enough time to where you're ready to go big screen?
1: Well, it's crazy. I've been professionally writing as far as it being strictly my main income for about eight years now. I've been doing it for way longer than that. And, you know, I've been, I've been getting consistent, acting work for about five years now. Um, it's one of those things I'm in my mid thirties. You know, I could constantly beat up on myself like, man, you got a late start to it. But, uh, the the journey I had to go through that journey to even get there. Like it's not something I could have accomplished in my early to mid twenties. Um, I wasn't mentally prepared to do it. So this is the perfect time for me to kind of be on the road that I am. I don't, I don't have high aspirations to host SNL or, or be sitting at <laughs> sitting at the Oscars one day. I like knowing that I'm getting consistent work though. And, and I want to do it where pe- with people that will pay me and I'll have a good time. With
0: it. And it, yeah.
1: if that means, yeah, that,
0: that's that, funny. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, if that means it's a, it's a, a, a black rifle who are my friends. And, and, and if it's with uh, production companies who are independent, I'd rather go that route than, then again in my mid thirties start from fresh trying to do the LA scene thing. As long as I'm making money, I'm happy.
0: It's funny. There's, you know, the old saying, you know, how do you know a successful actor is and and it's, he can pay his rent, right?
1: That's, that's, (laughs) that's literally, yeah, that's, that's all it is. Are what makes you a professional? This is how I pay my rent and I have a professional mindset about it. It doesn't mean that I'm getting the highest accolades in the biggest roles. It means I'm, I make a living doing this.
0: Well, let's, let's just stop before because I really want to get into, um, you know, the business of, of, of comedy, the business of that later on. But first, I think it's critical to help frame out um, – you know, if, if people are are just meeting you for the first time and they go to your, your Instagram page or they go find you in some of your videos in the TV shows yeah. from that TV like Checkpoint yeah. Charlie, if they go and find you, you know, I, I want to give them some context about where your passion for comedy began. And when when was the first time that you can recall seeing someone, something do a bit that you were like, Wow, that's funny.
1: Uh You know, the old trope is that people who do comedy have suffered some sort of damage at one point, right? (laughs) I never suffered any terrible, like, physical aspects of my childhood. I had an incredibly wonderful childhood. Me too. Ideal, yeah. Like, I didn't – there was no suffering on that part as far as having food on the table and and whatnot. Now, I I do – I mean, I I was a kid who, at a very young age, I was about – Eight years old, I was diagnosed with uh, Tourette syndrome, which is, you know, right now you wouldn't notice it, but at that time it was very, very apparent. And um, when I was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, they heavily medicated me. Oh, and so I, I gained a bunch of weight. I just, I plumped up into a fat kid overnight. I was kind of a skinny kid, and then I became a fat kid like that. And so not, not only did I have these tics, and now I was this fat boy, I developed this thing that has carried on into the way I present myself professionally at this point. Now it's more refined. I'm able to turn it on and off. But when I was a child, I had to beat people to the punch as far as teasing goes. Wow, yeah. So I turned it all on me. I, I, I did the fat jokes. I took my shirt off. I played with my, I jiggled my tummy to make the kids <laughs> laugh because it was my way, way of making sure they couldn't do it to me first. And luckily that was right around the time, eight years old, This would have, been, if I was eight, this would have been the early nineties. Chris Farley was at his peak oh. on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And having someone like that in this world was huge for my confidence because he did that same thing so confidently and people loved him for it. And I needed to see a guy like Chris Farley um, be the way he was in order for, for me to have the confidence to do that to myself. It's, it's, such a young age. So I realistically Chris Farley was my earliest memory of a a performer and and a comedian that um, really impacted me. He didn't just impact me where I was going to go professionally 20 years later. He impacted me on a personal level. Um,
0: And that's, that's a powerful thing, right? When that first time you see or hear that influence that really kind of shifts your, your focus to a place where, wow, I, I, I can connect with that. I can Mm -hmm. connect with that, that type of, of idea, that type of imagery, that type of, of, of concept to where it gives you that self-confidence piece. Now that all of a sudden it it lifts you up. Mm
1: -hmm. What,
0: what, what, did you become fascinated with him? Did you study him? Did you watch all of his stuff? Did you want to know where he learned his comedy? Where were you prepared for that at that young of an age?
1: No, no. Now I know that, you know, he started out uh, in the second city group and, you know, like I knew, I know his professional path now. At the time, it was just watching him do it at the time. I I will say this. I was probably 10 or 11 when Tommy Boy came out and and he, he started, which like that was, that took him to the next level. And that was a game changer for me. Again, that was a game changer for me to, that's when I truly came to appreciate him. And I, I, I like, I'm not the only guy, I'm not the only guy, especially my age range, I'm not the only guy on earth that has a deep love for Chris Farley. And I I'm, like the only time I've ever shed a tear over a celebrity in my entire life was the day he died in wow. December of 1997. No, no other, no other, um, no, i no other celebrity, I've never even given it a second thought. You know, people die. But when Chris Farley died, that really impacted me.
0: It was almost, uh, you know, this, and and I think it, as you described it, on that personal note, where, you know, it 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 gave your physical presence uh, a greater meaning. It gave mm-hmm. it gave the the power of using self deprecation as a defense. That mechanism. was all. That was it. You know, it it and it really and it's such when you think of all the different defense mechanisms that we employ in our lives, which are are pretty complicated humor is the one that seeming that seems to disarm is most people the fastest Mm -hmm. but yet it's it's also one of the most difficult to pull off too so how did you how did you did you I mean it must have been almost instantaneous for you to realize the power of it once you started using that self-deprecation can you can you describe it a little bit more and did you have a certain set of jokes that you'd use for this or for that or was it just all encompassing in your life
1: it was I mean as a child it was uh anything for a laugh and I remember like. Teachers early on in my very young years, you know, Jack, they're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you. I'm like, well, they're (laughs) laughing, aren't they? I don't care. You know, again, and now as an adult, I can turn it on and off and I professionalize it. But because that was my base level of humor and my understanding of humor at such a young age, you know, at at this point, 60, 70 percent of what I do is that self-deprecating, you know, fat guy fall (laughs) type of humor because um i mean that's literally that's, that's my base understanding or my base appreciation for human right 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 so it um i as i got older you know i became more aware of how to get a laugh out of people what was going to get a laugh out of people but in all honesty i never as a kid i mean i was able i got by in high school well and i you know, a social kid, I, I didn't have a terrible thing. I was never Mr. Popular, but um, I was never truly comfortable within my own skin for numerous reasons. I think a lot of it was, you know, even when I got into my teenage years and I, you know, thinned out a little bit, I, uh, you know, I still had some, some self-esteem stuff going on there that was just inherent with me. And, uh, you know, I, I never really truly got comfortable in my skin until probably getting into my late 20s really you know I always had some kind of trepidation with with what I was doing you know my own image I, I suppose.
0: I, I was the I same way you know it, it, I always had this hang up that you know because of athletics nobody thought I was smart I because of you know, these, uh, and then, you know, you go into the teams and it's the flip of that. You don't want to be too smart, you know, and then, then you've got to be this. I know tough. even
1: jock culture is like not a good, healthy place. you know.
0: No, it wasn't at all. And, and, and every, and that's why, you know, and deep in my heart, I'm an artist. I've always been an artist. It's the one thing that yeah. I, I just could always do. Right. And so here I am trying to maintain this, this machismo, you know, all through and then, and then I go into profession later on in life. That's even the most right. machismo. And yeah, right. And so you're right. It wasn't until I'd say about, you know, about eight, eight or nine years ago that I started to finally be just okay with who I am. And really over the yeah. last five years too. When you when you started to finally feel good about who you are, what you were, what you've done. Is that when you started to kind of craft uh, a future plan for yourself in in your late 20s?
1: Well, my mid-20s is when I made a real crack at writing, when I started putting my stuff out there. And by my late 20s, I was getting paid for it. And so I think it does go hand in hand uh, in a lot of ways that when I started really diving into I do comedy writing. It's not a high art by any means, but... Um,
0: oh, you do more than I, that, bro. You, I've, I've read a bunch of your stuff from Duffel Blog to uh, the stuff you're writing on Coffee or Die. I just had, yeah. you know, I mean, it, you, you, there's, I mean, it's satire, right? You're, you're a really yeah. brilliant satire writer. And for, for those people who've ever tried to write comedy, who everybody's ever tried to even write period, when you see good writing, you see it, and so it's there in your stuff, man. And you know, I was wondering if it, you were able to translate this confidence early on because everything so far I've read has, has been pretty humorous and pretty good.
1: I, you know, like anything, uh, like any craft on this uh, planet, you just have to keep doing it to get better at it, and you have to keep doing it to get more confident about it. Um, and 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 you know, again, my confidence and Who I was uh, correlated with my confidence and what I was doing and and my ability to get paid for it. So yeah, it was probably around my late twenties that I I really felt that I knew for sure that this is there's no turning back. This is what I want to do forever. And uh, I mean, I can I worked in oil. I made a lot more money in oil. I can survive in that world, but I'm I'm never going to be truly happy. My apologies. I, uh, yeah, no worries. That on. do not deserve this yeah. guy. Spam risk keeps calling me. I don't know why you should like, take it. He wants from me. You yeah. should take it. He probably yeah,
0: wants, I, he probably wants the, uh, well, what, what'd you guys, you called it the, the deluxe stock pack from you and JT. That's what he wants. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> man. That was, you know, what, you know, what I love about working with Jared is, uh, you know, as a, as a, a co-collaborator, uh, I love his style because he's the type of guy that we can just be at his place at three o'clock on a Friday. And he's like, I got this idea and we'll have it scripted within the hour. We'll have it shot within the hour within another hour. We'll have it edited four hours later. Like we're ready to post something. We we don't overthink things. A lot of the times we'll just go with something when we have an idea. And he's, I love bouncing uh, ideas off of Jared. Like it's, he's one of the f- Best people to work with.
0: He he's one of the f- freest. And I, I I and I've heard, you know, I've I've been paying attention to all you guys really in earnest, you know, since range fifteen. And 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 to watch Jared and but you know, I've inter- we've interviewed him um we on when I was at TQ and and just you know, when you th- when you get to that space where you're unencumbered by what the expectation of what your audience wants and it's more about what you think is funny and the freedom to, to do that with someone else, man, that's what shows. And that's why I think, you know, the bits that you guys have done recently are, are some of the funniest things that that's just out there right now. Do you like when you work with, um, or how would you describe the difference between working on a scripted show uh, like Checkpoint Charlie or working with Jared where it's kind of on the whim and it's just artistically free?
1: Well, they're both professional environments because at, at, the, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to get a good product out and have people laugh and, and figure out how you're going to monetize it. So they're both professional things to do. But with Vet TV, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's traditional television. I mean, they're an independent organization, but it's the from the business level to the art, the creative level, it's um, it's they're running a traditional uh, tra- uh, television organization or a streaming organization. So they have uh, very intense uh, scripting processes and uh, conceptual uh, conceptualization processes, and and then you know the the money it takes to hire a good DP art department, like everything. You know they they're they're coming packed with every every type of occupation you need to put on a good TV show, and then they're spending you know at times months filming you know six episodes of a show, which is you know still not a lot of time even for an indie series. Um, So that it's a super professional environment. It's the action cut the slate, everything you imagine in the movies, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, with JT, we, we do have that process as well. We'll, we'll plan things out. My dog right now, I'm sorry to interrupt myself. My dog right now sees that he's a bulldog, and he sees that I'm not paying 100% attention to him. <laughs> so he's clawing at the door as if he wants to go out, even though I let him take a leak like five minutes before I call <laughs> you. So I'm the worst multitasker. I'm seeing him staring me down right now just, you
0: want to take him out go for it man no way
1: i just took him out man he, he knows what he's doing right now he's trying to, trying to work. this is daddy's work time this is daddy's work time daddy's talking to friends okay
0: um go here here here's the here's the mark one motto solution you got to figure out how he can uh, utilize an ipad to his benefit man with four kids It has been the saving grace above all else during the pandemic, bro, especially when we we had all four of them in uh, online school at once, dude. I was just like, holy, because, you know, something would pop, my PTSD would trigger, and next thing I know, I'm like,
1: ah! Dude, every parent that I know who has kids during the pandemic, they all pretty much say the same thing. I love my kids. It's just I haven't spent as much time with them before, so (laughs) – (laughs) yeah
0: there's there's like there's a million different bits in in all of this and that's i think one of the coolest parts about what you do is you're able to take you know what's very real and relevant uh going on and you you can flip it and turn it into into comedy is that something that's intentional in you that you're, you're you're scanning the news media you're scanning articles you're 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 tuning into the AG Barrs congressional session yesterday and writing new bits on him cuz i know you love to hammer AGs but you know is that how your process works for your own personal comedy um
1: i am i don't touch on political humor that much i don't think i do at least and i you know i'm po- i'm i'm aware of what's going on but i don't consume the news like voraciously by any means like I, I, I'm a casual observer of the news. Um, and sometimes this is the thing with political stuff. I, my my goal with comedy is, um, I don't ever want to approach anything where it's personal to me because then I can't make it funny. Um, if you're going to touch on any subject and everything's open, but if it's personal to you to the, where you're angry about something, then it's not going to translate well as far as getting laughs from people. And I, I went through that recently w- with the, um, what was going on in Minneapolis the, with the George Floyd thing. But aside from what happened to that man, Minneapolis is my hometown. I was watching it go up in flames and I went through a dark period watching my, that happen in my hometown. My sister was right down the street from where it was happening. It was, became kind of personal to me. And I was trying to find a cathartic way to make a joke about that. But since I was so attached to that on a personal level, I had to stop myself from forcing a joke out of it or forcing, because I didn't want to come off like I was a, you know, one of those yeah. guys ranting about how the world is. I don't want to be a rancer. I don't want to give my opinions. <laughs> I want to make people laugh at the end of the day. And even though I have my own opinions, if, if I can't translate it, into a way that 's going to make people laugh, even if I am kind of injecting my feelings in there, then i I, I, I remove myself from it, and i don 't do the, any type of joke regarding it because um, again you know, it 's not going to translate well
0: that 's a great point you know I mean how do you if you are deeply moved by something, you know how do you then you know flip it to something funny and i don 't know if you saw recently the Dave Chappelle thing that he did he did like it was in Breckenridge, Colorado, or it's Beaver, like, it was, I think uh, it was
1: backyard or something. No, like that. it was yeah. at
0: it was at a restaurant in Beaver Creek, I think, and near. Yeah. You know, and 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 he got on and he started out, but then it turned into this rant about his emotional state with everything, and it really was just like, "Wow, man, you know, I, you know, is is that what we've devolved to? Where you know, comedy, which and and I quote you, by the way, this is one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard. Comedy is uh, one of the last bastions of free speech in the Western world, and you know, do you feel like now the cancel culture movement is is that comedy is in jeopardy as well too?
1: You know, it's crazy. Like we we keep saying comedy, and I always I always like to to be very clear that I'm a comedy writer. I do live performance stuff. I, I'm an act. I'm a comedy actor. Uh, i don't do stand up i 'm not I'm, I know people in those circles, but i 'm not in those circles because i 'm a coward uh, uh, but you know as far as comedy across the board, whether it 's stand up which in my opinion is is the heart of American comedy specifically or it, you know it 's- you know it' 's improv or performance stuff or scripted stuff um, it 's certainly evolving and changing there is no doubt about that. I'm not going to sit here and say comedy is in jeopardy. Um, but from what I understand, you know, a lot of big name comedians are they are on edge about stuff they can do and where they can do it. And what, that's what I love about guys like Dave Chappelle is he's still very fearless about what he says. He's very true to himself. Um, and I think at the end of the day, any comedian that's really going to make it or be worth a shit or have, whether, whether it's a mainstream audience or even a hardcore loyal niche audience, they, they have to be people that are true to themselves and they're going to say um, exactly what they feel and obviously make people laugh in the process. So I don't think, I, I think comedy is going to be okay in the long run, um, especially compared to other art. You know, they can clamp down in a lot of other ways, Comedy is still a profession where you're, you're an independent operator. You know, you're, you're operating on your own, and especially in, with the world we live in today, the way we can utilize social media, podcasting, um, you know, and just you can do stand-up anywhere, really. People are still going to have a place to, to voice, voice their humor and, and voice their opinions.
0: Well, I mean, one of my favorite, the guy that I'm paying attention to really closely right now is, is uh, Andrew Schultz. he he, he's been on yes yeah turn 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 your phone touch there turn your phone sideways. he's he's kind of
1: he's the quintessential millennial comedian yeah
0: and he's yeah and
1: he's he go ahead go ahead no i mean he's not afraid to say anything about anybody and i appreciate that about him and and even though i don't agree with you know some of his content like I appreciate that he exists and that he's willing to say it same thing with Bill Maher like I'm not on the same page as Bill Maher like at least 50% of the time but I appreciate the hell out of Bill Maher
0: well he's willing to he's willing to 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 attack both sides right and he's Mm -hmm. yeah he's willing to call out uh, what he believes is right and wrong and and he's not afraid you know to to face the backlash from both sides and I think that's positive too I think Rick, Ricky Gervais Gervanus uh, is yeah the roast at the Academy Awards or Emmys or whatever he was and and I and I think you know comedy is always it's real for me it's and especially with scripted comedy and and I think what we've seen is is there's a there's been a real demise toward at comedy co- comedic movies, whereas before they they really in in TV shows they really were at the heartbeat. Now you you watch these scripted sitcoms that everything's a generalized joke, nothing's offensive, nothing's anything, you know. And then, they're trying to score social points. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and so the question be, you know goes to you if you know, let's say, uh, you know, um, you guys got, somebody came in, they wanted to invest in you as a, as a senior leader of a project. Is there a, is there a type of project, and you, if you're working on something, you know, you don't have to say anything, but is there a type of medium or delivery mechanism that you believe would be, would best suit you and why? Well,
1: as far as what I have done, I, I, I appreciate working with a, a A company like Vet TV, where uh, they're willing to go there. I mean, the first show they ever did, the show pretty much opened up with them doing lines off of their dead (laughs) war buddies' headstone. Like, I mean, they go there. They went there right off the bat. And I appreciate that they go there. Um, I feel very comfortable with those guys. I feel comfortable not only their creative, they're a creative group of men and women in that company but they're people that are down for my kind of humor. Uh, and I've rarely been told no by them. And it wasn't even a matter of that's too offensive. It just didn't maybe fit in the script. Um, and right now, you know, I'm, I'm working even at Black Rifle. Black Rifle is a company that's grown so tremendously fast over the years. And, and um, even within this last year, I've been working a lot more with Jared because Jared and I jive well. and We have our own kind of sense of humor. And there are people who drink Black Rifle that appreciate it's not the majority. It's not. It's not a lot of people, but it's <laughs> it's a it's a, a hardcore minority of people that enjoy our brand of humor, and and so I've gotten to spend a lot more time on on, a, on Team Jared at Black Rifle there, getting to kind of you know uh, do those silly jokes. Um.
0: Well, I I, I I find it. I I think it's interesting too. You know, with with the success that Evan and Matt and Jared have had you know, and now all these other offshoots that just continue to grow with success, you know, as well as this push to, you know, be a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more user friendly that, you know, what ultimately, you know, helped build this was, you know, I mean, when you have a movie where a a midget rips Evan's penis off and a zombie, I mean, That's there forever. That's there forever. You know, you've got to appease a certain fan base. And I just find it beautiful that, you know, they still maintain that loyalty to the group of people that, you know, originally came on board to find the dark humor of, of our lives, to find the the original
1: customers. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Not to generalize, but it was, you know, if you had to describe the, 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 at least the, the person that was watching range 15, it was a, 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 a veteran or an active duty person that uh, you know they they'd seen or been through their own level of uh, shit and uh, they they appreciated what we were doing um, and how we were you know bucking the the studio system of you know you can and you can't do this we were just doing it how we wanted to do it
0: and that's my my favorite part of of who you are, right? Is that you're you're not afraid to to really explore your craft openly. And so often, what artists really struggle with is that that fear, right? That fear of man, I need to refine it and make it perfect and I got to work it and do this and do this and it's got to look great and it's got, I got to have the right tan and the bikini line and I got, and we overwork our our art so much that it's dead before it even gets to the public. But you're literally, it's almost as if on your Instagram feed, especially in your stories, we get to see you working on your craft. Every day, and, and to that, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that and find inspiration in, for my own craft, too.
1: I, I really appreciate that. Uh, never, I, I guess the, uh, the uh, student has become the master in a lot of ways, David, if that's what you're saying. You know, uh, you, you, uh, you were so good to me over the years and you taught me so much, but now I've taken the reins and inspired your life, and that means a lot to me.
0: Well I appreciate uh, that man but it's true you 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 have in in innate what first of all there's just some people that are funny and some people that work really hard to try and be funny. You are just naturally funny and but what I love because as you know i'm a, I'm a massive fan of 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 any intellectual approach to something right It can still be outlandish and wild and off the you know in and, and free. But there has to be. It has to come from a rooted place. So when you're when you're exploring your comedy, uh, how much? What kind of thought goes in on an Instagram story? Uh, uh, you know, what kind of thought goes into the you know the the um, the black ops grooming ones, right? What 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 where where do these come from?
1: Well, as far as the Instagram stories go, I make it a point not to overthink those. There's, there's not a lot of thought. That it's literally something. And I have a policy: is like, don't do anything, don't do things based on, you know, what what you expect people to think is funny. Do things based off of what you think is funny. Yeah, man. And so if I think something is funny, and for me, it's a lot of it's poop jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> but if I think something is funny, I'm just going to go ahead and I'll, I'll test it. And look, I'm analytical. I'll, you can see on an Instagram story, how many things have been shit, you know, how many times something's been shared. Well, something gets shared quite a bit. If, if it's, even if it's me, literally just making one little silly statement or doing an impression, if it gets shared. I, I'll take note of that. And I'll try to build something bigger off of that. Um, oh, that's cause for me, a lot of it's just, it's thrown spaghetti. It's, it's thrown uh, noodles against the wall and seeing what sticks and, and, Instagram stories are a great way to kind of gauge what people are uh, feeling about something. I, um, I, uh, where was I going to go with this? Mm -hmm. I, I I worked, you know, we, we met when I worked at Ranger up Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that came from the fact that when I was there, you know, we had to make video content while we were there, but we also had, I had to, I was copywriting. I was doing descriptions. I was coming up with t-shirt ideas. I, I was, I had to fold, shirts at times. And, um, we were kind of all over the place and I only had, we only had these little windows to make these videos. So you had to get used to like not overthinking things and just making the video, getting it edited and put out and then getting back to whatever you were doing. So I think those years I was at Ranger up in, in North Carolina, there did me a lot of good in, 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 um, in the fact that I was able to develop this process where i was able to pump stuff out pretty fast because i still have that now i have to do a script but you know i'm typically doing at least one script a week with with jared there wow. i i i i work i do contract work with other veteran apparel companies grand style i i, I write sketches for them i um I, i'm still in contact with the vet tv guys at times i'm working with them all simultaneously so i have to be able to I have to be able to get it all going like back you know one after the other, and um I How don't know you, where it's going with this day no,
0: no, it makes total sense no, i listen when it, we live in the grind, right? we live in the grind, mm-hmm. especially you know trying to figure out where the next where the next thing's gonna come from, and when you're a content creator man, that's hard. It's hard because once that machine starts eating your stuff and and, and is getting nourishment from it, it wants it. It wants it. it. Yeah. It wants it's, its, its dose every day,
1: right? I've got work. That's a good thing, but now yeah, I got to keep going. And it, I, I I appreciate that I still I get to work and people don't realize when you say oh, I'm I'm a writer, I think a lot of people have this vision that it's like you're it's like some romantic Hemingway thing where you're just slamming rum and scotch all day and writing and then chicks fishing come over and, yeah and fishing and going on adventures which i get to do a lot of cool stuff no doubt but it's a job you have to wake up at a reasonable time i've been working those jocko hours lately bro i've been doing jocko hours lately the only problem is the only problem with that is i'm still going to bed at jack mandeville hours so i'm <laughs> I'm still getting adjusted, but that's
0: what nobody knows is Jacko goes to bed at like like six o'clock at night. Right. Literally. Yeah. He puts his kids in bed, reads them a bedtime story, and then is in bed. Although his kids, I think, are all fully grown now. But but uh yeah, no, that was one of my favorite ones of all time when you started doing the watch
1: <laughs> thing with Jocko, man. I would just tag Jocko every morning like at 4.15. I'm up, dude. I'm up, man. Um and then he he like he re uh not retweeted he shared my story one time like oh shit he's been watching me as well this is real now (laughs) um it like it it almost lost its fun for me when he acknowledged that i was harassing him yeah this isn't fun anymore
0: (laughs) it would totally you especially if you like like i'm coming for you you're my next morning workout you know (laughs) i make fun of the guy so much but
1: he's the reason why i started waking up like at five in the morning like so and then, but that's going back to what I was saying. Like, it's a job, it's a career, and if you're going to be good at your job, you have to have a, a healthy work life balance. I wake up at five five thirty in the morning. I I feed my dog. I feed myself. I get my coffee in. I shower. I get dressed. I look presentable. If it's a busy day at work, within my own home, and then I I go to work. And I, you know, it's 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 not feasible to be putting in eight hours scripting and 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 be at your best but i put in a good four five six hours at times of time on my computer scripting things out or conceptualizing stuff and then i i make i have to make business phone calls like uh, you know i still have to manage you know the business side of things um and then you know i I have, I I make time for myself at night. I watch, I watch movies or, you know, I play with my dog or, you know, FaceTime hot chicks or whatever. I don't know. I make, I do things for me. And then I go to bed at a reasonable time.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's the exciting life of a, of a, of a comedy entertainer, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, yeah. Like I, that people imagine it's this, this like romantic, they have this very romantic notion of what being an entertainer is. I'm like, no, it's a job it's work. And totally. I came from the oil field. I'm glad I don't have to turn a wrench anymore, but again, I made a hell of a lot more money in the oil field. So. Oh my,
0: tell me about it, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the thing is, uh, you know, with with contracting it or whatever, you know, whatever you can fall back on, you know, there's so much security in that and particularly right now, right? We're we're living in a space that if you have a skill set that can guarantee a wage or an income, it's so it's so critical, but if you're in our world where <laughs> where man especially especially like i mean you know there's freezes in every place in terms of projects and what they're going to do, and it's I mean, got to be
1: affecting you right now, bro i mean you're i, you're I got Mr. crushed motivational speaker, yeah
0: I got crushed, I lost seven events there are six or seven events the day it went down and and you know, and luckily though I, I've been able to give a bunch of online and have modified it. And, but the beauty for us is we've really been able to shift and work on some of the other projects we've been working on with like online training. And then, you know, we too have been trying to work on a couple television pitches, uh, you know, for uh, documentary films out there. And, and but, you know, that got shut, the, both those things got shut down. So finally now we're starting to get back to discussion with it. But, but like you said, it's, man, it's a never-ending job to be creative. Mm -hmm. And, and so when you look back at, at when you finally started to recognize, all right, this is going to be my career. I'm going to go after this with the full gusto of everything I got, you know, who did you look to as an example of not only, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of not trying to mimic anybody, but taking little bits and pieces, right? Every musician, says that every song's already been written. They just steal a chord here, for chord there from everybody, you know. Yeah. In terms of the, the physical comedy, we all take a bit from, you know, Charlie Chapin or Keating or, or the Three Stooges or whomever, oh,
1: right? Oh, God, the Stooges, brother. Oh. Greatest comedy troupe in the history of the world, in my opinion. Yes. Really?
0: Why do you say that?
1: They – because they made things – not only – they did it for almost 50 years right? But let's, at their peak in the 30s and 40s, and maybe even the 50s, at their peak, they made comedy that to this day when you watch it, is just as funny now, it's just as relevant now as it was back then. Um, there were very few instances where they were doing anything specific to their period. Um, obviously, like, a lot of the the slang was very specific to their period, but these guys, like, at the end of the day, getting hit on the head getting slapped in the face and falling down are it's in human DNA to laugh at that stuff. And they mastered getting hit in the head and falling down and getting slapped in the face.
0: Well, when you, when you start, you know, when you watch it for a superficial surface value, you're right, right? The, the, the physical comedy gags are, are exactly that they prey upon our own, our own sick, demented love of watching our friends and family members get hurt, right? I mean, no no greater place than in the military than we laugh at, But you know, oh, "Oh, you just got, you got, you're just a toe jumper. Oh, that's so funny. What? Wait, what? But, you know, when you look back and you see, man, they, like you said, they were able to do it for 50 years straight. Why do you think that they, was it because they each knew their role? They because essentially, when you look at it, it's the same gags over and over. But why were they so enduring?
1: Well, like you just touched on, they knew their role. Uh, and uh, Mo was the front man. He was the leader. He was the at time at times he was the straight man, which he really wasn't. Uh, Curly was he was the runaway star. He was the Chris Farley like nobody could touch his level of popularity. Larry Feinberg, Larry Fine, uh, the the porcupine, he, to me, was the most interesting of the Three Stooges because um, he – talk about a guy that knew his place. He was never vying to be the funniest guy, but he was always there when you needed him. And he was, like, the perfect guy to set the rest of the the group up for success.
0: It it was genius. He literally – at the right time, the right place, he'd come in with, "Oh, Larry, or you know, Mo, you can't do it. whack," you know. Yeah. And, and it, never he never complained. complained. No, and he just lived that out. And and you know what I love is is to go back and you look at all these, uh, like for instance, Laurel Hardy. I don't know if you saw the movie that. Um, uh, they made who was it that was in it? Uh, the guy that was from um, Step Brothers was actually in that with a, an English actor.
1: Oh, um it was recent, yeah. Yeah, uh, John C. Riley. Th- that's played. right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have it, not seen that. It's no. really good, man, because you see that there's a relationship, a deep, deep relationship behind all of these, all all these teams or these duos that goes on a much deeper level, and and. You know, what's interesting is I, I think there's a misconception that when you're writing or working with something like take, for instance, you and Jared, you know, that you guys are just bouncing off the walls and it's like, ha, 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 you know? <laughs> it's just, just, it's just ridiculous. But there's actually a, a deeper uh, relationship that's building. Do you think that that plays a major role in your ability to be funny with someone else on screen?
1: Oh, chemistry? Absolutely. Yeah. And chemistry is built through creating friendship, really. Uh, Jared's my friend, uh, but we're also, we're in a working relationship and he is my boss actually in that relationship. So at times, like I may disagree with him, but like, he's got the end, he's got the, the say at the end of the day, but like, it goes back to like, well, if you're not complaining and you're not making a big deal out of nothing, and, and you're not taking things personally, then you're going to have a great time. And <laughs> so and again and then when we're done working we 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 were able to become friends uh strictly friends but yeah chemistry means everything Um uh, what uh, are as,
0: what i'm sorry what are what are some of the other great chemistry relationships in comedy that you can that come that come to mind right away
1: as far as people of the past or yeah yeah at well, any time I mean, the three stooges i mean they i mean they were, uh, people don't realize this. Uh, Mo and Curly were brothers, and then uh, Shemp, once Curly left the group, Shemp came back to the group. He was actually the original third stooge. Shemp came, and he was also a brother. So, they all three of them were Howard Horowitz, right? Um, so you have that natural chemistry there, and then again, the, the amount of time they spent together. As far as other groups of people that I like to watch, and you can where the chemistry is very apparent, um. I enjoy watching um, the uh, Broken Lizard guys. Oh, God. These guys have never had Judd Apatow comedic, you know, box office success. But, like, these guys keep getting movies funded for a reason. And these were, like, college bros from a small college. I think it was in Maine or Vermont Mm -hmm. or something like that. I mean, these were small-town New England guys that – you know, they just started funding their own student films and then they just kind of built from there. And when you look at that super troopers movie, you know, they, they did that for pennies and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't fit the mold of the industry standard of comedy films at that time, but it like, obviously like it was a game changer. Um, so I really enjoyed those broken lizard guys.
0: Th- that's phenomenal, man. I, I was hoping you were going to say them, you know, as I was uh, preparing for you, I, I went through and went to, you know, the Rolling Stone top 100 comedies of all time and, and top 100 comedians and, and what was interesting that, you know, what came up and, and I think one of the things that I, I'd kind of like to shift is the diversity of comedy and how you look at that. Like when I went to the Rolling Stones, you know, like coming in at number 31 is, and this is movies, all-time movies, I've got the Royal Tenenbaums, right?
1: oh yeah Wes Anderson man
0: I mean the guy's a a genius and and, yeah but then he's an
1: Austin guy yeah he's a Texan he is a Texan that's right and
0: and then 30 is hot fuzz and then 29 is team America so within those three those guys are brilliant yeah there you you see so as you move forward like how do you is there a particular genre of comedy that you like more than other or kind of how do you work through uh, finding those those real nuggets of influence?
1: As What do I enjoy as a viewer or what do I aspire to?
0: Well, first off, yeah, let's split it up like that as a viewer. And then what? do you aspire to like what if your your dream job you know just happens that someone says here's all the money in the world you go do what you're going to do what is that thing going to be
1: film wise i uh film wise i will in my top 3 comedies of all time will always I, and there's certain there's obviously a certain level of nostalgia that goes along with it but it'll always be tommy boy billy madison and uh probably You can always jumble for number three, but I would put major pain as number three. Ah! But these were these were '90s comedies, man. These were '90s comedies and '90s comedy that that Fairly Brother look. '90s comedies were very slapstick, sophomoric pee pee poo poo jokes, dick jokes, and (laughs) I am uh, I will always be twelve years old when I watch (laughs) those. Like so that's film as what do i what do i think what what do i think is smart comedy yeah. i think arrested development especially the first 3 seasons of arrested development is the greatest within my lifetime is the greatest uh, comedy show that's ever existed wow um because it plays out like a classic greek comedy it's it's about the the powerful family's fall from grace right and there's there's subtle also there's subtle Hints of incest in there as well. Very Greek of them. Uh,
0: (laughs) And nothing, nothing. There's no greater place to start in any development of any art whatsoever than back to the Greek, the 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 Greek legends and myths. Right? How
1: how much, how much Greek incest can we get into this show? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh man, Uh, Uh, we got to throw in a little Oedipal stump something somewhere, right? right, Somebody has to want to have sex with their their moms, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well
1: I mean, what I, so going back to what I want, what I like to do is I like, I like dumb slapstick silliness, right? I will always, and I've evolved. I'm, it's not everything. I found funny at 12. I find funny now. I've matured in a lot of ways, but, but there's just certain things that I will always find funny. Uh, and a lot of it's sophomoric stuff. Um, what I do, what I attempt to do and what I want to get better at and do more of and, and professionalize it more is I love to teach history. Oh, wow. I love, as cliche as it sounds, you know, like, when you When you have a good grasp of history and you understand it, you're not scared of the future because you understand that everything is cyclical, mm-hmm. and even like the worst possible scenarios you, you're it's not scary because you know it's coming and we and everything that you know the technology changes the technologies changes the the players change, but human behavior is cyclical and the same, it's it's all it's all happening over and over again but what i what I try to do a lot of the time is I try to Simultaneously, make people laugh and, but also give them a history lesson. I've I've done that in a few things I've done, but I even appreciate it when I do a joke that's some weird, obscure history reference, and maybe five people get that joke. If they hit, if people hit me up and let me know they thought that was funny, it means the world to me, right? Um, I love I, I love teaching while I'm making people laugh, and you you there's a lot of power. With comedy in the sense that you can change someone's pers- perspective not just on current affairs but on history if you can make them laugh because oh, it's disarming
0: a- absolutely I love that and you know there's a, a brilliant guy out there his name's Victor Davis Hansen, and he's a senior fellow at out at Stanford and he he's the world's leading expert on the Peloponnesian Wars and the fall of Rome and all this and that's what he does every day when his columns he, he attributes hey listen don't everybody freak out. We've already done this a million times. Just calm down, right? And and I think that's interesting about him. What when you when I hear you talk about making his the relevance of history funny, does a movie like Inglorious Bastards, does, is that funny to you? That dark kind of Quentin Tarantino humor? You know, because when I was searching for you know, comedy movies—they have like *Once Upon a Time in America* as a comedy drama, and I—I I don't know if—is that's are those type of hmm. things that funny to you? The dark humor, but you know, more—it's uh, kind of—I um, don't know if you would call it underground yeah. at all, but it's cerebral. Just, yeah, yeah, a little bit more, a, not, a little bit high-minded, right? Not so slapstick, mm-hmm. not so sophomoric, like you'd said, but a little bit like, hey, we're gonna appeal to those those very eclectic few who understand the nuance of the joke.
1: Yeah. I appreciate the hell out of that. So I appreciate, as a filmmaker, I mean, I appreciate, everyone appreciate it. Everyone likes Quentin Tarantino. Um, I, I do appreciate those things. I don't, I don't derive the same kind of, um, uh, Oh, probably professional meaning from it. Um, I, I, like, I appreciate that it's being made and I, and if it's funny, it's funny. Um, I mean, with Quentin Tarantino, I mean, he's a, you know, he's a blood and guts guy and that guy's all about dialogue, man, which, you know, like that guy, what he does better than most is dialogue. He, He can, he can set a scene that's 10 minutes, 15 minutes straight with just two people talking and it's still entertaining as hell. Um, I mean, I'm not at that level. I, I, I can't do anything like that. Um, I, 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 I appreciate those things. Uh, but I don't, I don't think they have any major influence on what I'm trying to do. If, like, if I, I,
0: I, I'm sorry, I enjoy that. Yeah, it's it's, it's entertainment, but it's not this, you're not like flipping on these old types of more, uh, these, yeah. these other types of comedy. You're going for the, the nineties nuance, uh, and that's what you're looking to really refine your craft through, but 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 again, you go well, back. to the, I'll go ahead. I, I'm kind of rambling.
1: Oh no, man! I'm sorry. I'm I'm. Uh, oh, I was gonna say I'm so Midwestern, bro. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> I I freaking. I, that being said, I mean, I was just. I had my mind fixated on Quentin Tarantino. The, let's say a guy like Christopher Guest, who did uh, Waiting for Guffman. This is Final Tap. Uh, best in the show I do I I not only appreciate his ability to create characters I when I'm writing even if it's for a 5-10 minute sketch I've never written a feature like that but even for a 5-10 minute sketch I try to write characters that are you know uh, as diverse and 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 kind of developed as like a Christopher Guest character would be
0: that's cool yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, last time I got, got the flu a while back, I, you know, I was down. So I started watching movies and I came across this, this great documentary. It was like a six part or five part documentary on, on, um, um, holy shit. This is what's going on with my brain. I'm getting old, bud. Uh, uh, the English troop, uh, Holy Grail, uh, oh, the Monty, Monty Python, Python. The Monty yeah. Python. And it I for me, it was just fascinating how they wrote, right, and how they got to a point where, you know they're, they're you know, from the first thing they're doing on the BBC, you know in the early '70s to writing the life of Brian, I mean, the arc of that evolution of their writing is so substantial, but at the same time they're, they stay rooted in 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 their what became you know known as kind of monty monty python humor and funny
1: (laughs) gags yeah just like like masterful gags yeah
0: right after the so do you do you like the gag is the gag a big part of why of how you like to write and why the setup for can you can you talk through how you write a gag a a really good gag piece
1: well, yeah, well, and it depends who I'm writing for. Right. And, and with some people, I have more of an outline of this is what you need to do. And with some people like do whatever you want, I don't care. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of any specific dude. I'm like, I'm the worst. I'm the worst at a, appreciating my own stuff when I'm in the moment. I, <laughs> I, I can do it, but I'm trying to think of something I've done recently. Um, that, that that I can do it justice verbally. Um,
0: the chopping wood uh, one that was
1: a a love well, that yeah one. that was just yeah there was no context to that that was just me <laughs> and Jared just like hey man we got to do something for 4th of July let's go take our shirts off and chop some wood yeah uh that was definitely yeah that was that was a that was pure gag there was there was nothing else to that yeah right um uh yeah oh jeez man i'm not like i just That's all I right. this.
0: let me ask you this when when is there? Do you? I mean, have you gone out and write sketch comedy for Dummies? Read sketch comedy for dummies? Are you reading biographies of great sketch comedy artists? Are you a mass? Are you a, an expert on John Belushi or Jim Candy and Chris Farley? Is that is that to to really understand how to create great structure in these bits? Are, have you done all that research as well too?
1: I have done. I haven't done all the research. I've done that research though. So
0: appreciating
1: people's paths has been a huge thing for me and seeing what other people were doing in their paths and and trying to implement it in my own. Like we were talking about obviously Chris Farley for a while, but you know, they, uh, they, there was a documentary about him um, that I watched uh, came out a few years ago, but it was talking about how he would just consume um, sketch comedy. And that's, that's essentially what I did, right? You're, I developed my sense of, structure based off of what I was watching um, like that was the first way I learned and then yes now it's a little more technical now uh, now that I'm kind of in it, it I definitely study it more on a technical level uh, than I did before um, uh, what was I going to I was, I was going to say one thing I pre, um, this is I'm kind of sidetracking here but and, and it kind of it correlates with the three stooges things if you look at in many ways, if you look at the root of the American comedy style, and obviously it's branched off since the early days and it's taken on a life of its own, but if you really look at what the root, the root influence of American comedy, it's, it, it comes from Jewish comedians. Oh, by um, far. Um, the Vaude- the, yeah. The vaudevillian guys, you know, it was the three stooges. Those guys were like first generation Lithuanian Jews from Brooklyn and you know, even in their, you know, the yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. That's all. Those are all like a Jew in Brooklyn at that time. They've heard that before. That was new to mainstream America. But you know, the Mel Brooks and oh yeah, part of the Jewish path in this world, and specifically within the United States, all the the adversity that the Jewish people have faced over the years, they developed this this way of communi- communicating with each other comedically. And that bled over into not just what was entertaining to mainstream America, but it kind of became a gold standard of how we operated comedically. Um, so like, I'm not trying to sound like altruistic or anything no, like that. No,
0: no, I love that you're going there with this. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, the, the you know, that, that, Mel, that Mel Brooks feel to things. Like, I think anyone that, if you're gonna study comedy, like understanding like, the old Jewish comics, not just the Stooges and all those guys, but I mean, Ronnie Dangerfield was one of the OG standups, right? Well, I, mean, I think he started doing it in the forties and fifties.
0: You, you can go, Bert, or something ben, penny like penny Youngman, Benny Goodman. Young- oh, oh yeah. My I mean, you just go down the list after list after list. Phyllis Diller. I mean, you're, you're talking about. Jackie Mason. Oh yeah. God. I mean, these were the He's still alive. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, a lot of these people, though, you know, they cut their teeth, whether it was in live theater or vaudeville. Um, and then from there, they really, you know, they, uh, there was a stand-up uh, phase in their careers always. And then, you know, they evolved from there, right? You look at Gene Wilder and, you know, Richard Pryor, right? They, they had to cut their teeth. So why are you so scared of stand up I'm
1: not. I'm not scared of stand up, and I'll do live stuff. I'll do stand up when when the opportunity presents itself. I'm not scared of stand up, um, but you know, it's one of those things. I never, at this point in my life, like I know I can go and do it, but that's one of those skill sets that's different. My base skill set is in writing and acting, and that's a whole different skill set. There, man, that you're. I'm. I'm going to have to essentially outside of the joke writing aspect, I will have to start from scratch, right? Wow. And that's what's, yeah. that's what's intimidating about it. And I, I never got around to that in my 20s like I did. You know, I already put in the grind with the whole writing thing. I went through all the rejection there. I built my name up there. And then, of course, acting and all that. But, you know, stand-up, like, it, I'd be starting from scratch. And you know what's crazy? I did a podcast the other day with a guy named Ron Ripley. He's a San Diego comedian you know he's not like a huge name he's on the circuit in socal there he does i think he's a i think he's a uh, an employee at the comedy store there um, in la jolla uh, he's not like a huge name but like i'm intimidated and i work with like i've worked with big time actors and i work with super talented actors that aren't huge names but they're like super talented people but i get intimidated talking to a guy like ron because he has the balls to go up on stage every night and do what he does i have the utmost respect for stand-ups yeah um and again i you know i've, d- I've done these uso tours and whatnot so i get up by on the stage way
0: and- the, that the video from that one that you went with uh what was their name american hitman
1: yeah the band yeah oh i opened my- up for a band
0: uh, un- well I mean I it dates back for me from when you guys were, were at SHOT Show doing the part you know on stage and you did the you did the the cruise and all of these opportunities for you to really bring in that that segment of of the group that just nobody else can do that right and it's not and everybody knows I mean Jared flirts with it a little bit but you know, I mean, I, I think you, you, you really, really can encompass that, that aspect of the delivery. And, and so – Jared will sing, though. Oh, God, he's so talented. Yeah. He's just all-around creative. I mean, that's what I love about Jared so much is that he, he just believes in the creative process. So, as you know, it's such a fundamental part of who he is, right? Yeah. And, and he can work
1: a camera, which is huge.
0: Massive. Yeah. Massive and and are you, that's a good point. Are you as you're evolving with your um, writing, with your you know the working through concepts and actually bringing it to fruition? Are you now looking at it from a much more technical perspective in terms of where to set the camera up, how you know how you work through rehearsals with another person in your sketch or are you are you really kind of thinking about the totality of, of bringing a piece to it uh, aside from the instagram stories obviously but like yeah, in a in a more yeah. professional way
1: uh yes i under you know i mean and that's just being on a on a set right you get the under, you understand angles and lighting and everything a little better um, i'm not by any means a master of it and i can pull my weight when i need to and i know the basic fundamentals of it at the end of the day, though, uh, I want to focus on writing and acting, and I know there's going to be a DP there, you know, <laughs> or someone who's like an experienced camera person, and I, I, I want to learn as much as possible from those people, so even when I'm working my little cell phone camera, it, it looks a lot better, but um, that's not something I'm obsessively focused on by any means, but I certainly pay attention, right. and I I... When I'm making stuff by myself, I'm sure you, you could notice or you would notice that it probably has evolved a little bit, but
0: Oh, for the sure. End it day, has. Yeah, Absolutely the
1: end, it has. At the end of the day, like I, I you know, if I'm going to a place like Black not even the vet T V guys who are doing, you know, streaming stuff out there, but if I'm at Black Rifle, like there's no shortage of like, te- like professionally trained camera lighting people. Yeah and uh and hey if you need me to if you need me to hold something like yeah not, not a problem but I'm not going <laughs> to be able to take initiative and and you know run run the the, uh, the the grip crew or anything like that.
0: So let me ask you this what what how do you get to a space where you know you've got something in your you know in your hand you've got a script for a, you know a sitcom you know how how ready how ready are you to be able to go into Hollywood and and pitch this stuff right now? Are are you at that space? Do you feel confident enough and that if you did have this great idea that you could go out there and and sit down with these people and and pitch these ideas?
1: Yes and no. Yes, in the regard that uh, do I feel like. For the most part, I'm technically ready to put together, uh, like I, I can put together something good. Yes, um, and that and it's viable. And do I have the confidence to be in a room with those people? Yes. Um, no, in the sense that I, I'm aside from filming Range Fifteen and going out there briefly for tiny, tiny little roles on cable shows. You know, I've been I've done like a sci-fi network show and everything like that. Uh, aside, uh, aside from that, I don't have any mainstream experience in the business side of that industry, um, so I would need a, a mentor or a guide, if I were to, or a collaborator that has experience, if I'm going to ever do anything worth a shit in that arena. Um, you, you, luckily you, I'm around people that understand that world.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Well, I mean, I, I, I think you know, it's not rocket science, right? It's not rocket science to take a an idea. You know, dress it up and deliver it to the public now because yeah. you know, and you've been doing it extensively for, you know, the what the last ten years of your life, and 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 I and you and know this
1: too. It's how, how is it sellable, right? You got to convince them that people are going to watch it. So well, you got to know who you're who you're you're targeting it towards.
0: Well, I, I mean, just going through trying to pitch this documentary, you know, we've been working on for the last year and a half is. It's like, man, you know, it's it just you got to know who to get it to, and then what they want from you, and how they're gonna, you know, change it or evolve it or whatever it is. You just and they
1: will, yeah, they'll rip your shit apart. Oh
0: god, all, oh already. yeah, I mean, it happened within, you know, the first few people that took a look at it. Well, you got to change this, and this is too much. And I was like, ah, all right, we'll 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 go to the next one. But you know, one of the things you said before too is you said um, that the inner, the creative world is ripe with rejection. Oh, yeah. How, how are you in that space now when, when you have an idea and it gets shut down or, you know, are, are, is that just part of the process? And then, and is there any rejection that's too substantial for you where you're like, all right, I just, I suck at this. I'm never going to get to where I want to go.
1: Well, part of me developing not just again my ability to script, structure, or make jokes is getting used to rejection that 's part <laughs> of the game and and it 's everything from someone not finding your joke funny, and you can 't take that person like all right they don't like it whatever i mean there's obviously been times i've been super passionate about something and i 'll even try to force something in because I believe in it so much, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't um, but I, there you can't take it personally. And like, you know, like i mentioned, Jared's my boss. Um, If he doesn't like something, and if I don't explain it well enough for him to understand, you know, he's, he's poo pooed stuff. And that, you know, I don't take that personally. That's just, that's the way it goes because I've been, I've been rejected at every step at every level and every type of thing I've ever tried. I've been rejected in one way or another, you know, even on the set of range 15, like, 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 they, they forgot to put me in a scene I was supposed to be in, I remember. And I was like, hey, I'm supposed to be in this scene. And they're like, too late. You're not in the scene anymore. I'm like, but, you know, it's like you just got to be used, used to being told no at times.
0: <laughs> it, it's really, and, I mean, comedy uh, above all other types of of art forms. I think you you really have to develop that thick skin, right? You, you yeah, have to
1: and, be. Is this affecting your belief in in what you want to push through, or is it affecting your ego? Because if it's affecting your ego, you gotta let it go.
0: Amen to that. That is the number one key. And any anytime you're performing at any level, if if you're you know if you're not willing for your ego to take a, a massive hit, then man, you're you're in the wrong line of work. Yeah, it's gonna happen all the time. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this: uh, You know, we're living in a very interesting time where uh, people get offended pretty easily. Um, but the one place that has always kind of been the place that, you know, you're, you were unencumbered was comedy. There was nothing that's off limits. Is, is that still true even today with what we're seeing with cancel culture?
1: Yeah, it's all about context. It's all, how, it's all about how you structure a joke. Not, uh, you can joke about anything. It's, there's stuff that I don't joke about because I don't particularly find it's funny and there's stuff I don't joke about because I know I don't either have the ability or experience to, to do it. Not that I don't want to, and not that I don't think I should, or that I think I shouldn't. I just don't have the experience and I'm not confident in my experience to pull it off. Right.
0: Well, that's and, but there are,
1: there are people who can pull it off. They do have that experience or, or they're just flat out funnier and better. Right. Um,
0: Tell me, give me an example, give me an example, one example where you think that there's someone that could pull off something that you, you couldn't maybe.
1: I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, we can go back to like the head honcho of American comedy right now, Dave Chappelle, right? He, a lot of it's just because people already accept what he's going to say is going to be funny because he's built up such a great reputation for himself. Um, But Dave Chappelle has the experience to structure a joke and people forget he doesn't just show up and do these big specials <laughs> with like a, the, the greatest material on earth. He's been testing this stuff out for sometimes years, right? right like he's been right. setting up for this stuff. And so he knows what's going to hit with audiences. But um, yeah, there's, it's, it's all about context and it's, it's finding, and using it in the same way. And it's one of the fundamental rules, right? You never, you never, you always punch up when you're doing a joke, right? You never, you, if you're doing a joke about a sensitive topic, you don't do it about a victim or the, you know, the people who are um, suffering as a result of whatever you're joking about. You go after the people in power. You go right. after the people that are creating the pain or chaos, right? And that's how you can get away with making a good joke um yeah you like uh i mean again just my i i can think of like things i've done where i, I personally like to go after people in power it's fun like
0: <laughs> they all need fun. it that's for sure they man. all every they all need oh, to be they,
1: knocked down a peg or two
0: everybody needs to be made of fun of that who's in a leadership role right now in this country every, that's for sure yeah
1: every single one of them from the president to the guy running against him to, to everybody. yeah. And,
0: and what's so amazing is that the absurdity has gotten so substantial that it's like, you know, they're writing their own jokes for us. They're writing, they're writing their own condemnation for us day in and day out. And, and you know, it's at some point, you know, you wonder. I, is irony dead? Yeah, is irony dead, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a great statement. And is it? Is irony dead? Yeah, that's what we're kind of, we're living in interesting times where we're having to kind of ask
1: that question, like, should we even bother doing this? Because the subject is kind of doing it for us in a lot of ways.
0: It it writes itself. And that's what what the awesome part about, you know, life and, and being able to look at life, trying to find the humor in it, right? Which essentially is trying to find the silver lining, trying to take some, you know, this massive weighted heavy issue and flip it on itself to find some kind of humor that otherwise we're, we're literally, everybody's going to be on, you know, 50 milligrams of Prozac every hour on an hour. Right.
1: I I try. Yeah. And I try to stick with what I know and what what, what I'm confident with and an audience that I'm confident with. And at least 50% of the people that have either watched me or watched films I was in or, probably follow me on social media, at least 50% are probably in the military or former military, right? So that's a big pool of people. Um, and I, 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 I have tested what I can get away with, with those people. And again, I never tell a joke to troll or to hurt anybody. There's got to be a purpose for it. You got to be making some statement, no matter how small it is, or, or making a point in some way, right? But, you know, I've, I've dealt with that whole you know, I've, I've done jokes about veteran suicide before. Right. And I, 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 I have a joke. And when I say, when I've done jokes about veteran suicide, I've known more dudes who have killed themselves than died in combat. Yeah, It's a very, it's been a part of my life for my entire adult life. Yeah. And so I I do these jokes partially because they're cathartic, but because it's, it's just, it's a reality that we're in and, you know, one of the jokes I I, I, I created years ago, and I, I I kind of passed my opportunity to kind of really do anything big with it, but it was something where a, a guy's doing the 22 push-up challenge, you know, yeah. to raise awareness for veterans suicide, but he's so out of shape that he can only do 15, so seven <laughs> veterans die because of him. So, yeah
0: yeah oh, it's about context. Man. i'm not
1: I'm not making fun of the person that's offing themselves. I'm making fun of. I'm mostly making fun of this challenge that's not going to stop any from, anyone it's, from killing themselves.
0: It's crazy to me. I, yeah. I just I, I must get hit. I don't even know on all these damn challenges. And I'm just like, no, I'm not doing any no, yeah. challenge. No. I'm done with it. Do you want to know how to
1: help <laughs> veterans not kill themselves? Yeah. Let's invest in uh, in good psychiatric infrastructure. Yeah, it, we'll start there. It, exactly. going to stop that shit, man
0: and and that's what's funny man we but you know we all need something right we all need some some kind of outlet right and i and i think in particular right now more than ever i mean we we're seeing suicide rates to to be frank you know skyrocket covid yeah we're seeing all these challenges with our
1: jobs yeah uh,
0: i mean it, i mean now more than ever we need people that are willing to be courageous and and be funny and to to give us something to laugh about because uh, you know I mean, listen I I spend a lot of time just kind of maintaining what's going on within the human condition in particular whether it's now or or in a greater psychological context but but you know we need humor more more than anything and that's why like I'll I'll do these I'll do a couple heavy shows in a row and then I'll have someone on like I had the, I found this incredible guy. On the internet as he does he has a handle on instagram called dad and bloated and he just does these real funny you know f- videos about being a dad or a mom every week and puts them out and they're hilarious and and like that's like my salvation when i see him popping my feet or or i see you posting something or you know it's just a moment it's a break in my day when i can go and 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 just look at what you're doing and and regardless of whatever spectrum you're bringing to, to the bit, man, it just makes me smile and we need more of that. Is, is that kind of what, does that drive you at all right now?
1: I'm not trying, I don't have intentions to change the world by any means. (laughs) I just like making people laugh. Like aside from the fact that I, I, I want to get a paycheck from it. I like like the only, the the biggest personal part about my job is I like making people laugh. It, 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 of course it, I'm not going to, I'm going to admit it. It validates me. It makes me feel good that people laugh. And you know, what's crazy is a lot, you know, if I post something on the internet, you can read the comment section and all the nice words, all you want, or even people calling you a piece of shit or not funny or whatever. Like you never take it super personally either way. So when I do have the opportunity to do live stuff, that's when it actually hits me the most, like, oh man, these guys feel better because of a joke I said, or even a joke that I said on a TV show that was written for me, like they, but they identified with that and they remember that and it means a lot to me, like big time, like it's, it's not just humbling, it's almost like embarrassing Yeah, that like, I'm like, wow, like you remember this line, that i didn't even i didn't even write that line you know somebody else wrote that for me you know like yeah um, it,
0: it's it's powerful I, I want, though right it's invigorating it makes you you get that feedback and we all need feedback i mean that's kind of what we operate on right if you get a, a, a non-stop level of of negative feedback you, you hopefully can shift and and start right. finding where and i think i'll go back to
1: the oil field if that ever happens <laughs> yeah.
0: no don't ever do that brother don't ever do that uh, you know and so you kind of you you continue on and and mastering your own personal craft um let me ask you this is 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 i mean do you are are you ready to i mean because what's so hard is right and i and i you know i'm in the same boat as as well as a bunch of people we know you know you you really get um uh locked in i don't want to call locked in it 's not the right word for it um you get uh, a custom or you get I don't want to call it complacent because we're working our butts off but you you get reassurance uh, this 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 um, this consistency of reassurance by the veteran community right they're they're so gracious they're so loyal they're so dedicated but is there a place in you like man i I really want to try how do I branch out of this how do I go out of it without making you know this 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 Really, this dedicated group that's that's elevated us into a particular space because of, of representing them in a, in a certain way. How do we break free from that, or not break free, but add, add on to it? Right.
1: I know exactly what you're saying right now. I think about that every day. I haven't touched. Uh, I haven't touched a, a, a flak jacket, and and a, a, I haven't put on a plate. And, a, and had a rifle in my hand at the same time in 14 years. You know, like I haven't, I don't think as a Marine, I don't think as a Marine anymore, that's, it was a, certainly a significant part of my life, but I that's that's not where my head's at at this yeah, point. Man. I don't think about that stuff. Um, So I, I appreciate that, like, again, a lot of people who, are on this journey with me uh you know they're either active duty military they served in the military in the past as well um I appreciate the shit out of that but like I don't want to do military humor constantly that's not it's funny and I can get away with a lot of things and I'm I feel like I've kind of mastered certain portions of it but like that's not the only thing that I find funny I don't even like watching war movies like I just don't (laughs) like Like, and it's not because of like PTSD or anything. Like I just don't get excited by that stuff, you know?
0: Oh, dude, like, I- so
1: I'm, I'm constantly thinking, and I look at it this way. When I take those jobs with vet TV, yeah. A lot of the times I'm playing a soldier or, you know, a military character, but I'm more in the mindset that like, well, this is a human being that I'm playing and I just want to be good at being this human being. I'm not trying to be a convincing soldier. I'm trying to be a convincing character. And, and I appreciate the shit out of their audience. And that's an acting job and I'm never going to say no to an acting job. And I, I appreciate everything about like uh, vet TV and specifically when it comes to like writing and stuff like that. Like I do things out of, I've ghostwritten women's empowerment speeches before. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll take a job anywhere, man.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, um, so like, I, I, I do try to focus on things even when like, I'm working with Jared. Like we don't not. It's you know, the majority that's not military related. It's it's you know, it's just our sense of humor. Um, and I know that like I can't be a freaking sixty year old dude that's doing jokes about. How can I? Oh man, you you froze up there.
0: Yeah, yeah, you you froze for a little bit. Um, Can you start just with? uh, I don't feel like being a sixty-year-old man and go again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't don't feel like being, or I, I, you know, I, I I can't. It wouldn't be feasible for me to be a sixty-year-old dude that's still doing jokes about that time I was in Iraq. Like that's just. (laughs) That's sad at that point. Like you're the guy wearing the Letterman jacket to your 10 year reunion. You know? <laughs> so like when I, I look at it with a mindset, like when I go on these USO tours, I don't get up on stage. I don't tell these kids most of the time. And when I say kids, it's like they're 18, 21 you're they're babies. I'm like yeah, at they that are. age where they, they look like babies to me, but I don't tell these young men and women, these brave young men and women in uniform. We'll say that, that, I was in the military because it doesn't matter. And most of them, unless they're my age, they're not going to be, they don't, they're not going to relate to me. So my goal is to take what I understand about what those, those young people, like their military world, and and try to make them laugh from it. I mean, I do have one tool. I was that young person at one point. So I I, I understand what makes them tick. So I can use that to my advantage and just getting a laugh out of them. It's not my job to go there and tell war stories or relate to them. Even (laughs) It's my job to go there and make them laugh. You know what I mean? And that's I always I always think about you know I I like writing I don't want to write stories about people in uniform all the time I want to write stories about interesting people.
0: Amen, and and that's the key, man. For you know it it uh, you know I'm the same way, man. I I, I got out of teams in '03. My last mm-hmm. deployment with the agency was the fall of 2011, and you know and I've I've evolved substantially. I mean I don't know any any other Navy SEALs that you know, like, let you know, are writing poetry and, and and doing you know and doing interviews with with, with Jack and, and and whoever. At least you got know. to be who you want to be. I, I, exactly, man, and and I think that's the real. That's the one of the. I think that's the. Of all the things that I truly respect and love about you is that you've always been that guy. You've always not defined yourself as the former Marine or the fall down funny guy or whatever. You know, although people ought, you know, do assimilate you with humor, but it's, it's on a totally different, it's so unique to you. And that that's got to feel pretty good. I mean, you obviously I know you suck with compliments. There's no, I mean, you're one of the worst. I'm terrible. Ever. You're one of yeah. the worst ever by it's, far. And I think and,
1: it, I think it's a Midwestern thing. Like it's not even <laughs> humility. It's like I don't deserve this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like you should be having a lash, or you you know the yeah. Jewish thing on their arm. You should have your yeah, exactly. arm, you know, yeah. tighten it up. I don't deserve it's, it. Right. You're not
1: that. Good.
0: <laughs> you, you flail yourself at night because you weren't funny that day, right? Uh, you know, but that's that's you've always had the courage to kind of be unique in in your own delivery, and and that's something that that's not easy to do in a in a world full of of people. In the veteran space, in any space, trying to, be, tr- trying to make it right now, right? I mean, and that's really what you look for. You look for that genuine individuality. Is there, is there any space where, you know, you catch yourself go- doing something or record something, uh, you know, and you just did it and you're like, man, that's cheap. I just ripped that off. That ain't me. That sucks. And you just, does that happen to you?
1: Yes. Uh, in one, in, in, on one side of the coin, uh, I, there's, a, there's an actual phrase for it, and I, I forget what it's called, but where you do a joke that's not necessarily verbatim, but eerily similar to what other people have done, and it wasn't intentional, but somehow in the back of your brain, you confuse what you thought of for something you've seen maybe a long time ago. I've been in those situations before, and it's the most embarrassing, <laughs> I want to beat the shit out of myself <laughs> moments on earth, because the last thing I want to be is A, on original, but Certainly not a thief, right? Yeah, man. So I've, I've come up with those. I've come, in up, I've come into those circumstances a couple times where, like, I did something. Even if, even if I'd never seen it before, like, eerily close to something that somebody else has done, and I either take it down or I typically take it down. Because, again, I no laugh is worth getting a reputation as someone who steals or, <laughs> or, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Or even being associated with that um, oh, i mean but it sometimes
0: happens, it happens all the time right i mean you how many times do you look you know at someone post something and then like a day later or even later that day uh, you know you see a competitor or someone else literally do the same thing or a version of it and you're just like oh, that's 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 a little nasty but i guess i should be uh proud that they're they're trying to steal something i don't know
1: I have certainly seen that I've seen stuff that I've made be regurgitated through the annals of the internet and like people I've never heard of are claiming ownership of like literally verbatim, like a joke or some statement that I made. And it, and it used to infuriate me at this point. I just like, that's the internet bunch of goddamn thieves. If I, <laughs> all I have to do is just keep being the first one that does it. Right. Yeah, that's man. all I can do. You know, that's um, it. Yeah, I try. I try to. I, I try to. Um, yeah, Lee, I just went full train into the uh, brick wall right there. Um, <laughs>
0: you and me both. Happens all the yeah. time, brother. I, uh, let me ask you this: You you always talk about this idealistic uh, uh, upbringing. Your mom. You, I love the way you joke about it with your with your mom all the time.
1: Sweet it's, it's, Mrs. Manville. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Is is does she? I mean, obviously, she's gonna be proud of you no matter what. But it when when you talk to her about what you're doing and your career, is is she paying attention? Does she watch all your stuff? And then what kind of feedback is she giving you right now?
1: Well, I'll, I'll say this: I'll, I'll going into that. I live in San Antonio, right? So like seventy percent of my dating pool is uh, Latino women, and <laughs> so I've I've dated a lot of Latino women, you know, because it's like pretty much. uh, the majority of women here right. and they talk they talk to their mothers once a day right and one of the ongoing jokes i have you know any woman i'm seeing they're like you only talk to your mom once a week i'm like yeah i'm white like that's really good for yeah that's a uh,
0: high number
1: that's yeah once a week is a really good number for uh, a, a white straight male uh living in a different state than his his parents yeah
0: that's actually um, people might say that's too much
1: yeah, right? Yeah. I know a lot of people that are way worse than I am. But totally. yeah, but my mother, my parents have been so, my mother specifically, right? She has a lot more to lose than my dad does. Um uh my mother <laughs> has been so supportive. Like I don't think she gets a lot of it, but I've never I have been so blessed where I have never been judged by my parents. Like That's cool. And I I see people who aren't even like in the arts in any way like their parents aren't happy with the way that they're doing their career as an insurance salesman you know what i mean like (laughs) i couldn't ask for a better situation as far as the love i've received and i think a big reason why i stuck a lot of it out was i always knew i was going to have an emotional safety net with my family that i was never going to be judged for failing and also it almost made it to where i didn't put as much pressure on myself you know to or I, I didn't get as down on myself when something good didn't come around because I knew I was going to be loved at the end of the day. And I certainly got that from my family.
0: That, that's a great point, man. And that's something that every human being needs to hear reiterated from from anybody who is putting themselves out on a regular basis. We all do in some some refrain, but but to really put it out there like you do in terms of comedy as well too – um because there is such a high degree of judgment when it comes to comedy, right, because you know i mean it's it's it's- it's, it's the hardest form of entertainment there is by far and and you have a certainly it's like kind of like baseball, you have a lot more misses than you have you know uh yeah. home runs if and, you're
1: batting three fifty you're leading the league man,
0: yeah, right yeah. I mean you're crushing it so so you know how when you what, is some of, what are some of the things that you tell yourself every day? what are some of the motivational things that you dig into and and in order to just press on in order to just keep going through it because I mean obviously it takes a lot to uh, be disciplined enough to continue to create regularly, and then also you know to it, once one thing's over, to get right back on a horse and start another and another and another until something hits. What, what are you telling yourself on a regular basis?
1: Um, I, if, w- one of the biggest things is I don't. I don't want mean, to. Oh, I don't want I don't want to catch you in some dead air. Uh, dead air here, but <laughs> that's fine. I I, I I don't. I've learned over the years not to get down on myself as much when I when I do fail. Um, but what keeps me going is a. I'm already so far into it. Like you know, I joke about being able to go back to oil industry and you know yeah i could always go get a job as an insurance salesman if i wanted to (laughs) but i feel like i'm so far into it like i can't not keep going at this point but and then this was my dream the second thing is i show appreciation i'm so because i don't think it was partially my own journey but i think anyone who's ever went down any type of artistic endeavor can relate to this when i set my goal that I wanted to write for a living and be creative for a living. That to me was like a very transformative moment in my life. And, and it was super scary. Um, When I start, when I got that first paycheck that I knew I could pay bills with for being creative, I will never forget how good that felt because i worked so hard to get there and i have been rejected so much on my way there that I never want to lose that feeling as I'm that I'm getting paid to do this. Do not take this for granted that you are getting to tell dick and fart jokes and you're collecting <laughs> a paycheck for it, dude. Like, if you have to wake up at seven in the morning or if, if you have to wake up at five in the morning and be working at seven in the morning, scripting things when you don't want to do it, you're literally getting paid to tell jokes, man. Do your job, you know?
0: I love it. Do your job. I love it. That's so awesome, man. That's such great advice for people because it is that. If 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 you don't dig it, you know, cuz I mean, the harder the industry you, you choose, which where, you know, the road to the top whatever that is or what it looks like, you know, cuz so often people be they, they get locked into the pinnacle of performance as, as the, the measurement of success, right? If not, everyone's
1: going to be LeBron. No, not everyone's going to be JK Rowling ever,
0: ever. And not, and not everyone's going to be Gary V. It, no, at all. It's not even close. So if yeah. you're, if you're able to pay your bills and have a career yeah. where you're enjoying, you're following your passion, man, there's a, there's a lot to that. And there's a lot of benefits. Um, let me, let me, wrap it up with this um a- as you look at at the future and and the circumstances we're in right now is there is is there do you have any worry or doubt that comedy is going to shift radically or is it all going to still be there in terms of the ability of a Lenny Bruce or a Richard Pryor or uh, or nowadays you know a Joe Rogan or or even uh you know whoever is in the net you know all the seth rogan or whomever it is comedy always going to be there and 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 is it the like you continue to believe is the one last bastion of free speech
1: yes um i think <clears throat> and you've always had comedians that appeal to certain niches and i think you're going to see more comedians like that in the future right as 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 we as Americans kind of put ourselves in these subgroups more and more, but you're always gonna have to have people there to make those people laugh. Now, as far as a comedian that can be mainstream and and hit a lot of people at once, there's always gonna be those comedians. I'm not worried about the future of of people's ability to tell the truth, right? As long as as the Supreme Court does its job and upholds uh, First Amendment issues, there's always gonna be people who are willing to push the envelope. Uh, legally right there's people willing to push the env- envelope illegally so there's certainly going to be people that are willing to push the envelope within the construct of comedy like there's we're always gonna we're always gonna have jesters in our society yeah man. There's, they're never gonna go away even Stalin needed somebody there to make <laughs> him laugh you know <laughs> he maybe, maybe his work was a little <laughs> censored for sure they weren't really nice to their artists in Soviet oh. Russia you, but even he needed the jester.
0: Can you imagine how tough it must have been to try and make Stalin laugh? Right? They just had oh my god! They just had a line of dudes that would come up. They they all right. So uh, yeah, um, I'm here at the the proletariat and and I, you know, how about those starving people? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, right. All right, well, the right? Thing, that's what that's what happened to Sergei Eisenstein, who
0: was like the he's considered
1: like one of the 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 the, the Mount Rushmore's of of uh origin of filmmakers, right? He was a Soviet era filmmaker. The guy was brilliant. He was the Stevens he was Steven Spielberg on steroids. Wow. And even they freaking got rid of his work. Like <laughs> if the greatest director ever who was doing great propaganda shit for the Soviet government can't keep them happy, uh, no one is going <laughs> to really keep those guys happy. Yeah. I
0: love it. All right. Well, Jack, what's going? What's next? Right? Where can people? What can they expect that you got coming down the road? Where can they watch you and pay attention and follow you?
1: Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, a couple uh, television projects I was working on have been put on pause. Luckily, not canceled. Um, and you know, I'm not traveling like I used to, which has its pros. I get to smell my dog's farts a lot more these days. <laughs> um what well, I'm 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 working I'm working here in San Antonio. There's two companies in San Antonio that I I'm writing sketch comedy for. I'm I'm in some of the videos, so I'm I'm doing that as far as a day to day uh bigger projects. Um uh I'm working on something with Jared right now that's a bigger project um and it's it's kind of, it's purely for funsies, but we want to really make sure this happens. I don't have an, I don't think I'm going to get a huge return on this, <laughs> but I want to make sure people can see it. Um, and, and as far as uh, anything else I'm trying to, I mean, I do have so many, th- you know, I'm doing these, uh, I'm doing these Burbiz events. We're doing a lot of these virtual Burbiz events. Um, I'll be doing, another. I see I, I those. So I'll be doing another one of those. Uh, I'll be introducing uh, Jocko of all people, actually, I, from what I understand. I did it last time. They're like, hey, you're going to be introducing Jocko. I'm like, does he know that I'm the guy that keeps tagging him and all those annoying posts?" <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure.
0: Yeah. That's um, awesome, man.
1: But yeah, other than that, man, I'm, right now I'm in, I'm in day-to-day mode. Uh, but if you want to see just some, some of my guttural, dumb, not overthinking things humor, you can I'm, – I'm, I post a lot on Instagram. That's uh, Jack Mandeville, J-A-C-K-M-A-N-D-A-V-I-L-L-E and uh you know i'm I'm the same on facebook and and i'm on tiktok you know i'm on tiktok but i i don't know how to feel about am or the chinese am i gonna bring down america by being on this thing or <laughs> i'm not sure like you know, i'm 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 hearing conflicting things like don't worry about it and then i'm other people are like you're a treasonous so <laughs> i don't i'm on tiktok but i'm not really active on tiktok oh, so even- <laughs>
0: Oh, God, I love you, brother. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on. I love you, bro. Yeah. David, I, you. I can't say it enough, man. I, I remember when you came
1: to San Antonio. I was in San Antonio and you were coming in to go hang out with Evan. And, and I think you were doing like the Drinking Bros podcast. And I, I, I couldn't be there when you were there, but I was in the office before you got there. They're like, oh, yeah, we have a guy coming in today. He's a former Navy Sealy, the motivational speaker. I'm like, is it David Rutherford? They're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, guys. You are going to fall in love with this guy, and then afterwards, Evan came. Evan came up to me afterwards. He's like, "You were not lying. This is one of the most. This is. He was one of the most inspiring men I've ever met in my life, man. Uh, Every time I talk to you, again, I was already in a good mood going into this. So like, you, you I always feel better talking to you, even when I'm at my best. So,
0: well, I appreciate that, Jack. I feel the same way about you, man. And and just please, please keep going keep doing what you're doing. I, I, I just, there is no doubt in, in my mind that there is a space that you in the future are going to be making millions of people laugh on a regular basis. I just have all the faith in you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, it's, you're just, you, you're a real inspiration for me too. So I love you, I buddy. I appreciate it, bro. I love you too, man. God bless. En- enjoy that sort
1: of humidity. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll bring, yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome.